Chapter Two of Storky and Co. by Rudyard Kipling. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Tim Bulkley of BigBible.org. Slaves of the Lamp. The music room on the top floor of Number Five was filled with the Aladdin Company at rehearsal. Dixon Quarters, commonly known as Dick Four, was Aladdin, stage manager, ballet master half the orchestra, and largely librettist, for the book had been rewritten and filled with local allusions. The pantomime was to be given next week, in the downstairs study occupied by Aladdin, Abnazar, and the Emperor of China. The slave of the lamp, with the princess Badrulbador, and the widow Twanky, owned number five study across the same landing, so that the company could be easily assembled. The floor shook to the stamp and go of the ballet while Aladdin in pink cotton tights, a blue and tinsel jacket, and a plumed hat banged alternately on the piano and his banjo. He was the moving spirit of the game, as befitted a senior who had passed his army preliminary and hoped to enter Sandhurst next spring. Aladdin came into his own at last. Avanazar lay poisoned on the floor, the widow Twanky danced her dance, and the company decided it would come all right on the night. What about the last song, though? said the Emperor, a tallish fair-haired boy with a ghost of a moustache, at which he pulled manfully. "'We need a rousin' old tune.' "'John Peel, drink puppy drink,' suggested Abnazar, smoothing his baggy lilac pyjamas. Pussy Abnazar never looked more than one half awake, but he owned a soft, slow smile, which well suited the part of the wicked uncle. "'Stale,' said Aladdin. "'Might as well have grandfather's clock.' "'What's that thing you were humming at prep last night, Storky?' Storky, the slave of the lamp in black tights and doublet, a black silk half-mask on his forehead, whistled lazily where he lay on the top of the piano. It was a catchy music-hall tune. Dick Four cocked his head critically, and squinted down a large red nose. "'Once more, and I can pick it up,' he said, strumming. "'Sing the words.' Ar Patsy, mind the baby, ar Patsy, mind the child. Wrap him in an overcoat, he's surely going wild. Ar Patsy, mind the baby, just you mind the child a while. He'll kick and bite and cry all night. Ah, Patsy, mind the child. Rippin, oh, rippin, said Dick Four. Only we shan't have any piano on the night. We must work it with the banjos. Play and dance at the same time. You try, Tertius. The Emperor pushed aside his pea-green sleeves of state, and followed Dick Four on a heavy nickel-plated banjo. "'Yes, but I'm dead all this time, bang in the middle of the stage, too,' said Abnazar. "'Oh, that's Beetle's biznoy,' said Dick Four. "'Vamp it up, Beetle. Don't keep us waiting all night. You've got to get pussy out of the light somehow. Bring us all in dancing at the end.' "'All right. You two play it again,' said Beetle who, in grey skirt and wig of chestnut sausage curls, set slantwise above a pair of spectacles mended with an old boot-lace, represented the widow Twanke. He waved one leg in time to the hammered refrain, and the banjos grew louder. Um, our er, Ladden has now found his wife, he sang, and Dick Four repeated it. Your emperor is appeased! Tertius flung out his chest as he delivered his line. Now, jump up, pussy, and say, I think I'd better come to life. 
Then we'll all take hands and come forward. We hope you've all been pleased, Twiggy-voo. No, Twig-on. Good enough. What's the chorus for the final ballet? It's four kicks and a turn, said Dick Four. Oh, er. Uh, John Sharp will bring the curtain down and ring the prompter's bell. We hope you know before you go that we all wish you well. Rippin', rippin'. Now for the widow scene with the princess. Hurry up, Turkey. McTurk, in a violet silk shirt and a coquettish blue turban, slouched forward as one thoroughly ashamed of himself. The slave of the lamp climbed down from the piano and dispassionately kicked him. Play up, Turkey, he said. This is serious. But there fell on the door the knock of authority. It happened to be King, in gown and mortarboard, enjoying a Saturday evening prowl before dinner. "'Locked doors! Locked doors!' he snapped with a scowl. "'What's the meaning of this, and what, may I ask, is the intention of this, this epicene attire?' "'Pantomime, sir. The head gave us leave,' said Abnazar, as the only member of the sixth concerned. Dick Four stood firm in the confidence born of well-fitting tights, but Beetle strove to efface himself behind the piano. A grey princess skirt borrowed from a day-boy's mother, and a spotted cotton bodice unsystematically padded with imposition paper, make one ridiculous. And in other regards, Beetle had a bad conscience. "'As usual,' sneered King. "'Futile foolery! Just when your careers, such as they may be, are hanging in the balance. I see, ah, I see. The old gang of criminals, allied forces of disorder. Cochrane!' The slave of the lamp smiled politely. McTurk, the Irishman scowled, and of course the unspeakable Beetle, our friend Gigadibs. Abnazar, the Emperor, and Aladdin had more or less of characters, and King passed them over. Come forth, my inky buffoon, from behind yonder instrument of music. You supply, I presume, the doggerel for this entertainment. Esteem yourself to be, as it were, a poet. He's found one of them, thought Beetle, noting the flush on King's cheekbone. I've had the pleasure of reading an effusion of yours to my address, I believe, an effusion intended to rhyme. So, so you despise me, Master Gigadibs, do you? I am quite aware, you need not explain, that it was ostensibly not intended for my edification. I read it with laughter, yes, laughter. These paper pellets of inky boys, still a boy we are, Master Gigadibs, do not disturb my equanimity. I wonder which it was, thought Beetle. He had launched many lampoons on an appreciative public ever since he discovered that it was possible to convey reproof in rhyme. In sign of his unruffled calm, King proceeded to tear Beetle, whom he called Gigadibs, slowly asunder from his untied shoestrings to his mended spectacles. The life of a poet in a big school is hard. He held him up to the derision of his associates, with the usual result. His wild flowers of speech—King had an unpleasant tongue—restored him to good humour at the last. He drew a lurid picture of Beetle's latter end as a scurrilous pamphleteer dying in an attic, scattered a few compliments over McTurk and Corcoran, and, reminding Beetle that he must come up for judgment when called upon, went to the common room, where he triumphed anew over his victims. "'And the worst of it,' he explained, in a loud voice over his soup, "'is that I waste such gems of sarcasm on their thick heads. 
It's miles above them, I'm certain. Well, said the school chaplain slowly, I don't know what Corcoran's appreciation of your style may be, but young McTurk reads Ruskin for his amusement. Nonsense, he does it to show off. I mistrust the dark Celt. He does nothing of the kind. I went to their study the other night, unofficially, and McTurk was gluing up the back of four odd numbers of Fors Clavigera. I don't know anything about their private lives, said a mathematical master hotly, but I've learned by bitter experience that number five study are best left alone. They are utterly soulless young devils. He blushed as the others laughed. But in the music-room there were wrath and bad language. Only Storky, slave of the lamp, lay on the piano unmoved. That little swine Manders Minor must have shown him your stuff. He's always sucking up to King. Go and kill him, he drawled. Which one was it, Beetle? Dunno, said Beetle, struggling out of the skirt. There was one about his hunting for popularity with the small boys. The other was one about him in hell, telling the devil he was a Balliol man. I swear both of em rhymed all right. By gum! Perhaps Mender's Minor showed him both. I'll correct his saisures for him. He disappeared down two flights of stairs, flashed a small pink and white boy in a form-room next door to King's study, which again was immediately below his own, and chased him up the corridor to a form-room sacred to the revels of the lower third, whence he came back, greatly disordered, to find McTurk, Storky, and the others of the company in his study, enjoying an unlimited brew—coffee, cocoa, buns, new bread, hot and steaming, sardines, sausage, ham and tongue paste, pilchards, three jams, and at least as many pounds of Devonshire cream. "'My hat!' said he, throwing himself upon the banquet. "'Who stumped up for this, Storky?' It was within a month of term-end, and blank starvation had reigned in the studies for weeks. "'You,' said Storky, serenely. "'Confound you! You haven't been popping my Sunday bags, then. Keep your hair on. It's only your watch.' "'Watch? I lost it weeks ago, out on the burrows, when we tried to shoot the old ram the day your pistol burst.' I dropped out of your pocket. You're so beastly careless, Beetle, and McTurk and I kept it for you. I've been wearing it for a week, and you never noticed. Took it into Biddeford after dinner today. Got thirteen and sevenpence. Here's the ticket. Well, that's pretty average cool, said Abenazar behind a slab of cream and jam, as Beetle, reassured upon the safety of his Sunday trousers, showed not even surprise, much less resentment. Indeed, it was McTurk who grew angry, saying, You gave him the ticket, Storky. You pawned it, you unmitigated beast, while last month you and Beetle sold mine. Never got a sniff of any ticket. Ah, that was because you locked your trunk, and we wasted half an afternoon hammering it open. We might have pawned it if you behaved like a Christian turkey. My aunt, said Abenezer, you chaps are communists. Vote of thanks to Beetle, though. That's beastly unfair, said Storky. When I took all the trouble to pawn it, Beetle never knew he had a watch. Oh, I say, Rabbit's Eggs gave me a lift into Biddeford this afternoon. Rabbit's Eggs was the local carrier, an outcrop of the early Devonian formation. It was Storky who'd invented his unlovely name. He was pretty average drunk, or he wouldn't have done it. Rabbit's Eggs is a little shy of me, somehow. But I swore it was Pax between us, and gave him a bob. He stopped at two pubs on the way in, so he'll be howling drunk tonight. Oh, don't begin reading, Beetle. There's a council of war on. What the deuce is the matter with your collar? Jimmy Manders Minor in the lower 
third boxroom had all his beastly little friends on top of me said beetle from behind a jar of pilchards and a book you ass any fool could have told you where amanda's would bunk to said mcturk i didn't think said beetle meekly scooping out pilchards with a spoon course you didn't you never do mcturk adjusted beetle's collar with a savage tug don't drop oil all over my fours or i'll scrag you shut up you irish biddy tisn't your beastly fours it's one of mine the book was a fat brown-backed volume of the later sixties which king had once thrown at beetle's head that beetle might see whence the name gigadibs came beetle had quietly annexed the book and had seen several things the quarter comprehended verses lived and ate with him as the bedropped pages showed he removed himself from all that world drifting at large with wondrous men and women till mcturk hammered the pilchard spoon on his head and snarled beetle you're oppressed and insulted and bullied by king don't you feel it leave me alone i can write some more poetry about him if i am i suppose mad quite mad said stalky to the visitors as one exhibiting strange beasts beetle reads an ass called brownin and mcturk reads an ass called ruskin and ruskin isn't an ass said mcturk he's almost as good as the opium-eater he says we're children of noble races trained by surrounding art that means me and the way i decorated the study when you two badgers would have stuck up brackets and christmas cards child of a noble race trained by surrounding art stop reading or i'll shove a pilcher down your neck it's two to one said stalky warningly and beetle closed the book in obedience to the law under which he and his companions had lived for six chequered years the visitors looked on delighted number five study had a reputation for more variegated insanity than the rest of the school put together and so far as its code allowed friendship with outsiders it was polite and open-hearted to its neighbours on the same landing where are do you want now said beetle king war said mcturk jerking his head towards the wall where hung a small wooden west african war-drum a gift to mcturk from a naval uncle then we shall be turned out to the study again said beetle who loved his flesh-pots mason turned us out for just warbling on it mason was the mathematical master who had testified in the common room warbling oh lord said abnazar we couldn't hear ourselves speak in our study when you played the infernal thing what's the good of getting turned out of your study anyhow we lived in the form rooms for a week too said beetle tragically and it was beastly cold yes but mason's rooms were filled with rats every day we were out it took him a week to draw the inference said mcturk he loathes rats when he lets us go back the rats stopped mason's a little shy of us now but there was no evidence jolly well there wasn't said stalky when i got out on the roof and dropped the beastly things down his chimney but look here the question is are our characters good enough just now to stand a study row never mind mine said beetle king swears i haven't any i'm not thinking of you stalky returned scornfully you aren't going up for the army you old bat i don't want to be expelled and the head's getting rather shy of us too rot said mcturk the head never expels except for beastliness or stealing but i forgot you and stalky are thieves regular burglars 
The visitors gasped, but Storky interpreted the parable with large grins. Well, you know, that little beast Manders Minor saw Beetle and me hammering McTurk's trunk open in the dormitory when we took his watch last month. Of course, Manders sneaked to Mason, and Mason solemnly took it up as a case of theft, to get even with us about the rats. That just put Mason into our giddy hands, said McTurk blandly. We were nice to him, because he was a new master, and wanted to win the confidence of the boys. Pity he draws inferences, though. Storky went to his study and pretended to blub, and told Mason he'd lead a new life if Mason would let him off this time. But Mason wouldn't. Said it was his duty to report him to the head. Vindictive swine, said Beetle. It was all those rats. Then I blubbed, too. And Storky confessed that he'd been a thief in regular practice for six years, ever since he came to the school, and that I'd taught him a la Fagin. Mason turned white with joy. He thought he had us on toast. Gorgeous, gorgeous, said Dick Four. We never heard of this. Of course not. Mason kept it jolly quiet. He wrote down all our statements on impo paper. There wasn't anything he wouldn't believe, said Storky. And handed it all to the head, with an extempore prayer. It took about forty pages, said Beetle. I helped him a lot. And then, you crazy idiots, said Abenazar. Oh, we were sent for, and Storky asked to have the depositions read out. The head knocked him spinning into a waste-paper basket. Then he gave us eight cuts apiece, welters, for, for t- taking unheard-of liberties with a new master. I saw his shoulders shaking when we went out. Do you know, said Beetle, pensively, that Mason can't look at us now in second lesson without blushing? We three stare at him sometimes, till he regularly trickles. He's an awfully sensitive beast. He read Eric all little by little, said McTurk. So we gave him St. Winifred's or the world of school. They spent all their spare time stealing at St. Winifred's when they weren't praying or getting drunk at pubs. Well, that was only a week ago, and the head's a little bit shy of us. He called it constructive deviltry. Stocky invented it all. Not the least good having a row with a master, unless you can make an ass of him, said Storky, extending at ease on the hearth-rug. If Mason didn't know number five, well, he's learnt. That's all. Now, my dearly beloved eras, Storky curled his legs under him and addressed the company. We've got that strong, persevering man-king on our hands. He went miles out of his way to provoke a conflict. Here Storky snapped down the black silk domino and assumed the air of a judge. He has oppressed Beetle, McTurk, and me, privatim et seriatim, one by one, as he could catch us. But now he has insulted number five up in the music-room, and in the presence of these, these ossifers of the ninety-third, what look like hairdressers. Benjamin, we must make him cry capivi. Storky's reading did not include Browning or Ruskin. And besides, said McTurk, he's a Philistine. A basket-hanger. He wears a tartan tie. Ruskin says that any man who wears a tartan tie will without doubt be damned everlastingly. Bravo, McTurk, said Tertius. I thought he was only a beast. He's that too, of course, but he's worse. He has a china basket with blue ribbons and a pink kitten on it, hung up in his window to grow musk in. You know when I got all that old oak carving out a bit of a church, when they were restoring it? 
Ruskin says that any man who'll restore a church is an unmitigated sweep, and stuck it up here with glue. Well, King came in and wanted to know whether we'd done it with a fret saw. Ha! He is the king of basket hangers. Down went McTurk's inky thumb over an imaginary arena full of bleeding kings. Placate, child of a generous race, he cried to Beetle. Well, began Beetle doubtfully, it comes from Balliol, but I'm going to give the beast a chance. You see, I can always make him hop with some more poetry. He can't report me to the head, because it makes him ridiculous. Stocky's quite right. But he shall have his chance. Beetle opened the book on the table, ran his finger down a page, and began at random. Or who in Moscow, towards the Tsar, with the demurest of footfalls over the Kremlin's pavement white, with serpentine and cyanite, steps with five other generals. That's no good. Try another, said Storky. Hold on a shake. I know what's coming, said McTurk, reading over Beetle's shoulder. That simultaneously takes snuff, for each to have pretext enough, and kerchief-wise unfold his sash, which softness self is yet the stuff. Gummy, what a sentence! To hold fast where a steel chain snaps, and leave the grand white neck no gash, full stop. I don't understand a word of it, said Storky. More fool you, construe, said McTurk. Those six bargees scragged the Tsar and left no evidence. Actum est, with King. He gave me that book, too, said Beetle, licking his lips. There is a great text in Galatians. Once you trip on it in tales, twenty-nine distinct damnations. One sure, if another fails. Then, irrelevantly, Setebos, Setebos, and Setebos, thinketh he liveth in the cold of the moon. He's just come in from dinner, said Dick Four, looking through the window. Manders Minor is with him. Save his place for Manders Minor just now, said Beetle. Then you chaps better clear out, said Storky, politely to the visitors. Tisn't fair to mix you up in a study row. Besides, we can't afford to have evidence. Are you going to begin at once? said Aladdin. Immediately, if not sooner, said Storky, and turned out the gas. Strong, persevering man, King. Make him cry Capivi. Go away, Benjamin. The company retreated to their own neat and spacious study with expectant souls. When Storky blows out his nostrils like a horse, said Aladdin to the Emperor of China, he's on the warpath. Wonder what King'll get. Beans, said the Emperor. Number five generally pays in full. I wonder if I ought to take notice of it officially, said Abenazar, who just remembered he was a prefect. None of it's your business, pussy. Besides, if you did, we'd have them hostile to us. We shouldn't be able to do any work, said Aladdin. They've begun already. Now that West African war drum had been made to signal across estuaries and deltas. Number five was forbidden to wake the engine within earshot of the school. But a deep, devastating drone filled the passages as McTurk and Beetle scientifically rubbed its top. And on it changed to the blare of trumpets, of savage pursuing trumpets. Then, as McTurk slapped one side, smooth with the blood of ancient sacrifice, the roar broke into short coughing howls, such as a wounded gorilla throws in his native forest. These were followed by the wrath of King, 
three steps at a time up the staircase with a dry whir of the gown. Aladdin and company, listening, squeaked with excitement as the door crashed open. King stumbled into the darkness and cursed those performers by the gods of Balliol and quiet repose. Turned out for a week, said Aladdin, holding the study door on the crack. Key to be brought down to his study in five minutes. Brutes, barbarians, savages, children! He's rather agitated. Our Patsy, mind the baby! he sang in a whisper as he clung to the doorknob, dancing a noiseless war dance. King went downstairs again, and Beetle and McTurk lit the gas to confer with Storky. But Storky had vanished. Looks like no end of a mess, said Beetle, collecting his books and mathematical instrument case. Weak in the farm rooms. Isn't any advantage to us? Yes, but don't you see that Storky isn't here, you owl, said McTurk. Take down the key and look sorrowful. King'll only joy you for half an hour. I'm going to read in the lower form room. But it's always me, mourned Beetle. Wait till we see, said McTurk, hopefully. I don't know any more than you do what Stocky means, but it's something. Go down and draw King's fire. You're used to it. No sooner had the key turned in the door than the lid of the coal-box, which was also the window-seat, lifted cautiously. It had been a tight fit even for the lithe Storky his head between his knees and his stomach under his right ear. From a drawer in the table he took a well-worn catapult, a handful of buckshot, and a duplicate key of the study. Noiselessly he raised the window and kneeled by it. His face turned to the road. The wind-sloped trees, the dark levels of the burrows, and the white line of breakers falling nine-deep along the pebble ridge. Far down the steep bank Devonshire Lane he heard the husky hoot of the carrier's horn. There was a ghost of melody in it, as it might have been the wind in a gin-bottle essaying to sing. It's a way we have in the army. Storky smiled a tight-lipped smile, and at extreme range opened fire. The old horse half-wheeled in the shafts. Where are you going to? hiccuped Rabbit's eggs. Another buckshot tore through the rotten canvas tilt with a vicious zip. "'Habit,' murmured Storky, as Rabbit's Egg swore into the patient knight, protesting that he saw the Dom Colleger who was assaulting him. "'And so,' King was saying in a high head voice to Beetle, whom he had kept to play with before Manders Minor, well knowing that it hurt a fifth-form boy to be held up to a fag's derision, "'And so, Master Beetle, in spite of all our verses which we are so proud of, when we presume to come into direct conflict with even so humble a representative of authority as myself, for instance, we are turned out of our studies, are we not? Yes, sir, said Beetle, with a sheepish grin on his lips and murder in his heart. Hope had nearly left him, but he clung to a well-established faith that never was Storky so dangerous as when he was invisible. You are not required to criticise, thank you turned out of our studies we are, just as if we were no better than little Manders Minor. Only inky schoolboys we are, and must be treated as such." Beetle pricked up his ears, for Rabbit's Eggs was swearing savagely on the road, and some of the language entered at the upper sash. King believed in ventilation. He strode to the window, gowned and majestic, very visible in the gas-like. "'Isian! Isian!' roared Rabbit's Eggs, now that he'd found a visible foe. Another shot from the darkness above. Yes, you! 
You long-nosed, four-eyed, gingery whisker beggar! You'm too old for such goings-on! Aye! Poultish your nose, I tell ye! Poultish your long nose! Beetle's heart leapt up within him. Somewhere, somehow, he knew, Storky moved behind these manifestations. There were hope and the prospect of revenge. He would embody the suggestion about the nose in deathless verse. King threw up the window and sternly rebuked Rabbit's Eggs. But the carrier was beyond fear or fawning. He had descended from the cart and was stooping by the roadside. It all fell swiftly as a dream. Manders Minor raised his hand to his head with a cry as a jagged flint cannoned on some rich tree-calf bindings on the bookshelf. Another coited along the writing-table. Beetle made a zealous feint to stop it, and in that endeavour overturned a student's lamp, which dripped via King's papers and some choice books greasily onto a Persian rug. There was much broken glass on the window-seat. The china-basket, McTurk's aversion, cracked to flinders, had dropped her musk-plant and its earth over the red rep-cushions. Manders Minor was bleeding profusely from a cut on the cheekbone, and King, using strange words, every one of which Beetle treasured, ran forth to find the school sergeant, that Rabbit's eggs might be instantly cast into jail. "'Poor chap,' said Beetle, with a false feigned sympathy. "'Let it bleed a little. That'll prevent apoplexy.' He held the blind head skilfully over the table and the papers on the table, as he guided the howling Manders to the door. Then did Beetle, alone with the wreckage, return good for evil. How in that office a complete set of gibbon was scarred along all the back as by a flint, how so much black and copying ink came to be mingled with Manders' gore on the tablecloth, why the big gum-bottle unstoppered had rolled semicircularly across the floor, and in what manner the white china doorknob grew to be painted with yet more of Manders' young blood, were matters which Beetle did not explain, when the rabid king returned to find him standing politely over the reeking hearth-rug. "'You never told me to go, sir,' he said with the air of Casabianca, and King consigned him to the outer darkness. But it was to a boot-cupboard under the staircase on the ground floor that he hastened, to loose the mirth that was destroying him. He had not drawn breath for a first whoop of triumph when two hands choked him dumb. "'Go to the dormitory and get me my things. Bring them to number five lavatory. I'm still in tights.' his Storky, sitting on his head. Don't run, walk. But Beetle staggered into the form-room next door and delegated his duty to the yet unenlightened McTurk with an hysterical pracy of the campaign thus far. So it was McTurk of the wooden visage who brought the clothes from the dormitory while Beetle panted on a form. Then the three buried themselves in number five lavatory, turned on all the taps, filled the place with steam, and dropped weeping into the baths, where they pieced out the war. "'Moi-je-ich-echo!' gasped Storky. "'I waited till I couldn't hear myself think, while you played the drum, hid in the coal-locker, and tweaked rabbit's eggs, and rabbit's eggs rocked king. Wasn't it beautiful? Did you hear the glass?' "'Why, he-he-he!' shrieked McTurk one trembling finger pointed at Beetle. "'Why, I—I—I I was through it all,' Beetle howled, in his study being jawed. "'Oh, my soul!' said Storky, with a yell, disappearing under water. "'The glass was nothing. Manders Miner's head's cut open. 
la la lamp upset all over the rug blood on the books and papers the gum the gum the gum the ink the ink the ink oh lord then stalky leaped out all pink as he was and shook beetle into some sort of coherence but his tail prostrated them afresh i bunked for the boot cupboard the second i heard king go downstairs beetle tumbled in on top of me the spare keys hid behind the loose board there isn't a shadow of evidence said stalky they were all chanting together and he turned us out himself himself this from mcturk he can't begin to suspect us oh stalky it's the loveliest thing we've ever done gum gum dollops of gum shouted beetle his spectacles gleaming through a sea of lather ink and blood all mixed i held the little beast's head over the latin proses for monday golly how the oil stunk and rabbit's eggs told king to poultice his nose did you hit rabbit's eggs stalky did i jolly well not tweaked him all over did you hear him curse oh i shall be sick in a minute if i don't stop but dressing was a slow process because mcturk was obliged to dance when he heard that the musk basket was broken and moreover beetle retailed all king's language with emendations and purple insets shocking said stalky collapsing into a helpless welter of half-hitched trousers so damn bad too for innocent boys like us wonder what they'd say at st winifred's or the world of school by gum that reminds me we owe the lower third one for assaulting beetle when he chivied mender's minor come on it's an alibi samivel and besides if we let em off they'll be worse the next time the lower third had set a guard upon their form-room for the space of half an hour which to a boy is a lifetime now they were busy with their saturday evening businesses cooking sparrows over the gas with rusty nibs brewing unholy drinks in galley-pots skinning moles with pocket-knives attending to the paper trays full of silkworms or discussing the iniquities of their elders with a freedom fluency and point that would have amazed their parents the blow fell without warning stalky upset a form crowded with small boys among their own cooking utensils mcturk raided the untidy lockers as a terrier digs at a rabbit hole while beetle poured ink upon such heads as he could not appeal to with smith's classical dictionary three brisk minutes accounted for many silkworms pet larvae french exercises school caps half-prepared bones and skulls and a dozen pots of homemade slow jam it was a great wreckage and the form-room looked as though three conflicting tempests had smitten it phew said stalky drawing breath outside the door amid groans of oh you beastly cads you think yourselves awfully funny and so forth that's all right never let the sun go down upon your wrath rummy little devils fags got no notion of combining six of them sat on my head when i went in after amanda's minor said beetle i warned em though what they get though everybody paid in full beautiful feeling said mcturk absently as they strolled along the corridor don't think we'd better say much about king though do you stalky not much our line is injured innocence of course same as when the sergeant reported us on suspicion of smoking in the bunkers if i hadn't thought of buying the pepper and spilling it all over our clothes he'd have smelt us king was ghastly facetious about that called us bird stuffers in form for a week our king hates the natural history society because little hartop is president 
mustn't do anything in the coal without glorifying king said mcturk but he must be a putrid ass no to suppose that at our time of life we go and stuff birds like fags poor old king said beetle he's unpopular in the common room and they'll chaff his head off about rabbit's eggs golly how lovely how beautiful how holy but you should have seen his face when the first rock came in and the earth from the basket so they were all stricken helpless for five minutes they repaired at last to abenazar's study and were received reverently what's the matter said stalky quick to realize new atmospheres you know jolly well said abenazar you'll be expelled if you get caught king is a gibbering maniac who which what expelled for how we only played the war drum we got turned out for that already do you chaps mean to say you didn't make rabbit's eggs drunk and bribe him to rock king's rooms bribe him no i'll swear we didn't said stalky with a relieved heart for he loved not to tell lies what a low mind you've got pussy we've been down having a bath did rabbit's eggs rock king strong persevering man king shocking awfully king's frothing at the mouth there's the bell for prayers come on wait a sec said stalky continuing the conversation in a loud and cheerful voice as they descended the stairs what did rabbit's eggs rock king for i know said beetle as they passed king's open door i was in his study hush you ass hissed the emperor of china oh he's gone down to prayers said beetle watching the shadow of the housemaster on the wall rabbit's eggs was only a bit drunk swearing at his horse and king jawed him through the window and then of course he rocked king do you mean to say said stalky that king began it king was behind them and every well-weighed word went up the staircase like an arrow i can only swear said beetle that king cursed like a bargee simply disgusting i'm going to write to my father about it better report it to mason suggested stalky he knows our tender consciences hold on a shake i've got to tie my bootlace the other study hurried forward they did not wish to be dragged into stage asides of this nature so it was left to mcturk to sum up the situation beneath the guns of the enemy you see said the irishman hanging on the banister he begins by bullying little chaps then he bullies the big chaps then he bullies someone who isn't connected with the college and then catches it serves him jolly well right i beg your pardon sir i didn't see you were coming down the staircase the black gown tore past like a thunderstorm and in its wake three abreast arms linked the aladdin company rolled up the big corridor to prayers singing with the most innocent intention our patsy mind the baby our patsy mind the child wrap him in an overcoat he's surely going wild our patsy mind the baby just mind the child a while he'll kick and bite and cry all night our patsy mind the child 